Hola, bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Marie. Before we get started with this episode, I have a quick question for you. What are you doing to improve your Spanish this summer? Summer is a time for vacations, for getting away, and you might even be planning on visiting a Spanish-speaking country. So it is the perfect time to improve your conversational skills because let's face it, if you've been learning Spanish for any length of time and you haven't been having regular conversations, you are going to fall behind. So this summer, we are not gonna let you do that. Here at Spanish Con Salsa, we are offering a summer boot camp. This is an eight-week boot camp that will focus on Caribbean Spanish and also Spanish grammar. So we're gonna be looking specifically at the past tense. A lot of people get confused between el imperfecto, el preterito, when do I use which one? And we're also gonna be exploring the Caribbean with Puerto Rican Spanish, Cuban Spanish, and Dominican Spanish. So you will have an opportunity opportunity to improve your Spanish and you'll also be able to attend regular conversation practice sessions facilitated by a native speaker all as a part of our Spanish fluency club this summer so if you are interested go to spanishconsalsa.com slash summer that's spanishconsalsa.com slash summer Registration is open now through Sunday. We have limited spots available. So if you're interested, I encourage you to press pause now before you listen to this episode. Scroll down to the description and click on the link or just go to SpanishConSalsa.com slash summer. Hope to see you in the boot camp. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hola, ¿cómo están? Espero que todos estén muy bien. This is Tamara Marie, host of the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. Ahora estamos en el mes de la historia negra aquí en Estados Unidos. En este mes de febrero celebramos la historia de la gente negra aquí en este país. Entonces hoy voy a compartirles un episodio de nuestra serie de Black Expats. So it is February, so it's Black History Month here in the U.S. So today I'm going to be sharing an episode from our Black Expat series. Now we did the series a little while ago and we actually interviewed several different black people who had left the United States to go live in a Spanish-speaking country. So we talked to people who had moved to Colombia, Puerto Rico, España, and it was a really interesting series, and I thought it was a great time to revisit it now uh, because, again, it's Black History Month, and I know people are traveling again. I know we had a little while where people weren't really traveling as much and there were some restrictions, but I think things have gotten to a new normal, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to revisit uh, this phenomenon of moving abroad. And also because I know many of you are probably thinking about retiring or moving to a Spanish-speaking country one day. So this is just a great series to hear a little bit about what is the experience actually like when you move abroad. There's so many things that we don't think about, and I know a lot of times we're just thinking, oh, I'll be uh, living on a beach, it'll be really cheap, I won't have to spend as much money, I can stretch my dollars. But we aren't thinking about maybe some of the more practical uh, things that come along with living abroad. So. Uh, I wanted to share this episode with you. And again, if you want to check out the entire Black Expat series, go to LearnSpanishConSalsa.com slash Black Expats. That's LearnSpanishConSalsa.com slash Black Expats. And you can hear all of the stories in the series. And again, I think they're really, really interesting to share. So I want you to uh, enjoy this episode. And also next week, we will, we will have a brand new episode 
uh, talking about one of my favorite Afro-Latino artists. And I'm going to be breaking down the lyrics and talking a little bit about some Spanish grammar and vocabulary that you can learn from one of his songs. So that'll be next week, brand new episode. But for right now, enjoy uh, the Black Expat series from Learn Spanish Con Salsa. Bienvenidos! Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, the show for Spanish learners that love music, travel, and culture. Close your grammar textbooks, shut down the language apps, and open your ears to how Spanish is spoken in the real world. Let us show you how to go from beginner to bilingual. Here is your host, certified language coach, Tamara Marí. Hola queridos oyentes, espero que todos estén muy bien. Bienvenidos al episodio 113. Welcome to episode 113 of the Learn Spanish con Salsa podcast. Now, I have to be completely honest. Mexico is just not on my list of places to travel. And it's not because I don't like Mexico. It's just that I tend to get sick anytime I travel there. Now, I have been to Mexico a few times and it just did not agree with my immune system or my stomach or whatever it is, but I tend to get sick every time I go to Mexico, so I'm a little bit biased. But after my conversation with Adelia, I really am reconsidering my stance on uh, on visiting Mexico. So I have to tell you, I really enjoyed my conversation with today's guest. Instead of just taking the typical route and looking to retire in the Caribbean, uh, Adelia Bordichale decided that she was going to live in Mexico City. And the way she came to that conclusion is actually a really interesting story. Uh, she had a real uh, detailed plan for deciding where she wanted to, to live when she ultimately moved abroad. So I think you'll find her story uh, really helpful if it's something that you have been thinking about. And of course, because it is the Black Expat series, we touch on a little bit about race in Mexico and sort of how that impacts uh, the expat population there, especially uh, for people of African descent. But we touch on a little bit of everything about life in Mexico City, from where to find a job to the best places to live, and whether or not it really is safe to live in a metropolitan area in the country of Mexico. So before we dive into all of that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest today. Adelia Bordichade is a financial life coach who helps women master their money so they can travel, move abroad, or do whatever their heart desires. She shares her experiences as a serial expat and world traveler on the blog and podcast, Picky Girl Travels the World. She hopes to validate, motivate, and inspire other black women yearning to live life on their terms. So with that, here is my conversation with Adelia. Hola, Adelia. Bienvenida. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. Thank you. I am originally from Houston. I currently live in Mexico City. I am a retired, recovering former school teacher uh, who currently is working at, working for myself, uh, doing some financial coaching specifically for women who want to travel more or become expats. So. First of all, I'm just kind of curious because I've talked to several different people uh, so far doing the series on Black expats, and I'm always interested in sort of what made someone finally make that leap to move abroad. I know it's something a lot of people think about. I know a lot of people 
you know, they might like to travel and visit different places, but what is it that made you make the jump from just sort of traveling to actually relocating to Mexico City? Well, I was one of those people who always wanted to live abroad, except life got in the way. Uh, I got married at 19 and really the focus of my life shifted to other people. And I eventually got divorced 20 years later. So it was finally time to do the things that I wanted to do. I wasn't sure when I would move abroad, but I knew it was going to happen. And I think things just fell into place in 2015, 2016. I couldn't think of a good reason to stay in the U.S. I knew that despite being born there, that was not the place I was supposed to live. And I initially moved abroad using my career as a school teacher. And I took a position at a very small international school in Honduras. And I thought I was going to learn Spanish. I didn't. Uh, (laughs) And that school was very small and not in the best situation financially. And so we had a parting of ways a, a year early. My contract was supposed to be for two years. And so I knew I wanted to stay in Latin America. But living in Tegucigalpa, I knew the things that I needed to have in a location in order to be happy, narrowed it down between Medellin and Mexico City and kind of as a fluke, Mexico City won. But really, from the first time I arrived, I was like, yeah, this is the kind of place I was supposed to be living in. So it was it was a good match from the beginning. It's really interesting to me that you you said that you always knew that, you know, the United States wasn't the place that you would live. Um, and I find that interesting because I think that sometimes we just sort of have this feeling that we want to be somewhere else or that we belong somewhere else, but we don't always act on it. Like you, like you mentioned, life getting in the way. But I think also there's all these barriers we put in, in our minds and we think that, oh, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be too difficult. What if I don't know anyone? What if my Spanish isn't good? And so I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this series was to really hear from people who've actually made that leap Uh, because I think there's so many barriers we put in our own minds to doing the things that we want to do or even trying them out uh, that we don't always move forward so I think that the fact that even though it took you 20 years that you finally did it was um, is great and hopefully inspires some other people that if they're thinking about it to kind of explore it a little bit more seriously and not just sort of have it as this dream deferred so to speak. So I'm, I'm curious because you mentioned you were in Honduras and then you, you ended up in Mexico City. So what was it uh, about Mexico City that made you say, this is the place for me? Um, because I know, you know, people talk about, like you said, Medellin is a, is a very popular place. There's other parts of Mexico, I think, like in Playa del Carmen, where there's like expat communities. But what was it about Mexico City that made you say, this is it for me? Well, I mentioned like I was able because let me just say this before I even moved out of the U.S., I had been country shopping, like literally I had a table set up with the attributes that I wanted in a place to live and countries I thought that met that. And I went through and added data. So like this, I knew when I left, I wasn't coming back. One of the things that I know about myself is that I enjoy urban spaces. I have I have traveled to 
some gorgeous beaches. I have vacationed on some gorgeous beaches, but I don't particularly enjoy the ocean or the sand at the beach or the salty air. So like the, the dream of living in a place like that was never mine. So I knew it needed to be a city and it needed to be a city that had things to do, museums, arts, you know, that was vibrant, really the kind of place, kind of like a New York City. But the problem was I was a school teacher for 22 years. I was never going to be able to afford to live in New York City. So Mexico City gave me a very metropolitan, world-class city lifestyle at a much more affordable price. I, I think it's interesting, too, that you mentioned you know, wanting to visit the beach, but not wanting to live there. So I think knowing yourself and knowing what you want is super important. Um, and I like the fact that you said you were country shopping, like you had a list of criteria. I think that's a really good way to go about it because you don't really know. Maybe there's a place that you wouldn't have considered moving before, but if, if you don't sit down and take that time to really think about what you actually want. So I think that's a, a brilliant strategy. Uh, and I'm wondering, so I have to ask this because this is like the number one question I always get asked. Anytime I talk about moving abroad, especially as a female going to a city in Latin America, everyone asks about safety as if the United States is the safest place in the world. But that's another story. <laughs> but it is one thing that people are concerned about, especially when you're in a place when you don't know the language. It's, you know, you don't want to get involved in a legal situation or something like that. Right. And, and you don't really know how to how to handle it. So how would you say you feel in terms of safety? living in a place like Mexico City, because Mexico has had, you know, really a bad reputation, especially along the border in terms of safety and, and some of the violence that's been going on in the country. Well, I often say this, and it's not a very popular opinion, but safety is an illusion. It's the lie we tell ourselves so we feel better. You know, I lived in uh, the capital of Honduras, which at one point was the murder capital of the world. And I moved there with my 15 year old daughter. So I'm not I'm, I don't know if that was the smartest move in the world, uh, you know, in hindsight, but I don't live in a space of fear. You know, I look at what is the reality of the situation. So after living in Honduras for a year, I, I, and I even told my daughter this, literally, you did that, you can live anywhere. So I, I kind of had that to compare with. But, you know, being in a big city is a big city. You, you make sure that you stay in the areas that you should. You don't go into the roughest areas. If there are places that the locals are like, mm, no, I wouldn't go there, then you don't go there. I don't know that, you know, here's the thing. When I first arrived in Mexico City, one of the things that just totally blew me away were the number of police. And the police were out. They were about. They were on the street corners. They were riding the bikes through the neighborhoods. I had not experienced that living in the United States. So already I automatically felt safer. And I really haven't had an experience that made me ever feel like I was unsafe. So coming into the city, I wasn't anticipating it because, you know, big cities are big cities. Big cities have crime. You just have to be smart and not put yourself in places where you shouldn't be. And, you know, don't do anything stupid like walk around with expensive jewelry, things that would make you a target. 
So there's that. And then I think Mexico City got a bad rap. I think once upon a time, crime was much higher and it was less safe. And Mexico City is not the border. You know, we I have had people ask me, well, what about the narcos? I don't buy drugs. I don't deal. <laughs> I don't deal with gang. You know, so my life on a on an everyday basis doesn't cross paths with those people. And, and, and by no means am I trying to play down the seriousness of that threat, because that is a threat in this country. But in a you know, if you think about other large world class cities, there is a criminal element there as well. I will even add, um, I had my wallet stolen probably about three months into living here. And it was it was my own fault. Um, I knew better, but I was I put my wallet in a bag and I sat it down on the floor next to my chair instead of keeping it in my lap. But I was with someone who was facing me. So I thought like, oh, they'll see if anybody does anything. They were clueless. But I was able, and this is something I don't think I would have done in the United States because I'm black and my interaction with the police, I, you know, that's, that's a traumatic thing. I literally walked up to a police officer on the street and tried to explain in my really bad Spanish that my wallet had been stolen and I needed help reporting it. And he flagged down another cop who then escorted me to the office so that I could do that. That just stands out to me. And again, I know this place is not perfect and horrible things happen, but my experience thus far has been really positive. So speaking about, you know, you mentioned the difference between the relationship with a police in the United States and in their Mexico City. How do you feel overall in terms of um, just the differences in terms of how race is treated in Mexico City? I do know that People tend to say, which I don't think is true, that there aren't there aren't these racial issues in Latin America that exist in, in mainland United States. But quite frankly, it's just not it's not true. But I do know things are different. So I am curious uh, in terms of your experience, especially, you know, dealing with just the realities of being black in America to to moving to Mexico City. How different have things been for you in terms of race there? Yeah. Anybody saying that there aren't racial issues in Latin America, they're they're missing the picture big time. But I will say Mexicans will very much own that they are classist. They have no qualms about that. And they I have had several Mexicans tell me like, oh, no, it's not like in the U.S. But, yeah, we are classist. You know, if someone is poor or if they're indigenous, society tends to look down on them. And I'm sitting there thinking being a whole black person. Well, have you ever noticed that the people who are in the lower classes also tend to be the people with the darker skin? I can put that together, but Mexicans seem to miss that. And I think that is partially because historically in this country, they have kind of created this narrative that Mexicans are mestizo. So it's not it's never about color because we're all all us Mexicans are a mix. So it's there, but I don't think they even realize that it's there. They will attribute it to class because they, in my observation, very closely link class and race. But I don't think you'll find a Mexican who says that. This is, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of feel like an expert on racism, 
being a black person from America. I think, you know, I think I kind of earned that. But like how I move here, you know, we have to be honest about passport privilege and the fact that if you are, you have an American passport, that puts you in a different category. I cannot undo my privilege. I cannot. But I do try and mitigate it sometimes by going into spaces and keeping my mouth closed. Because if I don't speak, they can't immediately identify me as an American. I am not very, very dark skinned. So they won't. I, I'm, I am not racially ambiguous at all. But here in Mexico, they don't necessarily, you know, like I get Uh, are you Cuban? Are you Dominican? That sort of thing first, long before anybody ever thinks in the U.S. But once somebody hears me speak, they do kind of perk up. And it's, it's, it's more of a curiosity of how I ended up here or why I'm here and that sort of thing. You know, if I did not speak English and I looked the way I looked, I would probably be treated a little different. I wouldn't say it by like everyone. I think people who are wealthier would, that would be more of an issue because again, how I mentioned the link between class and race. It's always interesting to hear experiences of people who are actually living in the country because uh, there is this, I don't know, I don't want to call it racial blindness, but there's definitely uh, a difference in view and the, and the vocabulary that used to talk about what we in the U.S. would most commonly just call racism, right? Uh, we would just call it for what it is because we're so used to seeing and dealing with it and dealing with it, I think, a little bit more openly than it might be in Latin America. So things sort of get pushed under the rug or it's like, oh, it's not really a big deal. It's just how things are because they didn't have the same exact type of slavery <laughs> that we had. So, so it is interesting to hear that and to hear to hear you talk about passport privilege I also think is interesting because that's something I've heard uh, from from everyone else really that I've interviewed as well just just that realization that even if you know racially you're not necessarily in a in a preferred group or the majority group so to speak that the fact that you are from the United States the fact that you do speak English does make people look at you differently and and even just I think from a class perspective like you you mentioned in Mexico I think that a lot of expats that move to Latin America experience this, that, you know, you mentioned earlier on a teacher salary, not being able to afford living in Manhattan, but I'm sure in Mexico City, uh, the dollar goes a little bit further. So can you talk a little bit about the affordability of living in a place like Mexico City? And and obviously Manhattan is a fresh stretch, but just maybe the difference between, you know, the cost of living there and maybe an average place in the U.S. or, or where you used to live uh, in the U.S. I lived in Houston. And I will first start by saying that Mexico City is a very expensive place to live within Mexico. Um, so, you know, it's it's sort of like the New York or the L.A., but of Mexico. However, I had an apartment in Houston, which was a one bedroom with a study, one bathroom uh, that I used like as a two bedroom apartment. And I and it was slightly smaller than my current apartment and I paid twice as much for that as I do for this one. So my electricity bill, no, not my electricity bill, my water bill was 71 pesos, which is about four dollars, 
$3.50 and it's up because normally it's about half that. Um, wow. <laughs> my electricity bill tends to be around the equivalent of two to three U.S. dollars every two months. The most expensive bill I have is my internet. By Mexican standards, it's inexpensive. It's, it's 20, about $20 a month for high speed Wi Fi and online, uh, like online storage space in the cloud and Netflix and another streaming video service. All of that I get for $20. Now that, by Mexican standards, is kind of expensive. My gas bill is also a little high. For two months, it might be like $15, $20. What about the cost of food? I know that, um, you know, everyone's got to eat, right? <laughs> so how, what's your grocery bill look like? Uh, that's a good question. Because the problem is I don't like to cook, especially <laughs> when... Where I used to live, I could walk downstairs. In this neighborhood, I have to walk over a couple of streets. But for, you know, for $2, I can get, you know, five, six tacos and be full. But groceries, the, the cost of your basics, things like rice and chicken and bread and that sort of thing is less expensive than the U.S., but here, of course, you can get a lot of imports and those you will have to pay for. You know, you want you really love uh, some American center cereal like uh, Cocoa Krispies or something. But you have to have the American version. That's going to cost you six, seven dollars for a box of cereal. But if you just buy like the Mexican Frosted Flakes, a box of cereal might cost you a dollar fifty. So on the whole... Food is cheaper here, and so I can indulge in things like organic beef, organic chicken, grass-fed chicken, pasture-raised. Like the other week, I had a dozen pasture-raised eggs delivered to my door. I did not have to leave for the equivalent of $2.50 for the dozen. It would be irresponsible if I didn't point out that the minimum wage, if somebody is actually earning that much, is $4 a day. That's minimum wage? Yes. There are a lot of people wow. who don't make that. But the official on-record minimum wage is about $4 U.S. per day. So food prices when you and this is one of the things that sometimes irritates me is when foreigners come here and they're like online and they're like oh my gosh it's so cheap well if you're making your money in dollars or euros yes it is very cheap for you if you're being paid in pesos maybe not so cheap well so talk a little bit about that so in terms of, of just moving to to mexico and finding work what type of what's the job market like there um, and, and are you able to really leverage that and get paid in dollars or euros uh, if you're moving there from abroad? It depends. If you are employed at a very large multinational that has a headquarters in Latin America, it's probably here. If you can be transferred here by them, you can do very, very well. You will be paid you, you know, your salary and dollars, they will pay for where you live, 
all of that, uh, a Supreme expat package. But let's say like I could have come here as a teacher, but I had kind of already decided to retire. It depends. Sometimes international schools will pay in local currency. Sometimes they will split it between U.S. dollars and local currency. It just depends. You do okay. But let's just say... You know, you just want to come on your own and you want to get a job and have a job sponsor your visa. That is tricky because like many other countries, they have rules about that, that if you're going to come and work here, you need, they don't want you to take a job away from a Mexican. So if a company is going to hire you, they have to prove to immigration that you have a skill set that a local Mexican does not. Very, very briefly, I did work teaching business English, but the pay was not great. I think a lot of people think about coming to Mexico and, oh, I'll teach English. Are you going to teach English where you have to develop the materials and the lessons, plus you have to go to the place where the students are, what have you? Are you willing to do that for $6 an hour? Sometimes less. I've seen I've seen job postings that were like a hundred pesos an hour, which is about five dollars. So if you can be transferred here, you can be very, very comfortable. If you can get a job with one of the big international companies, you will probably be compensated at like a middle class Mexican wage, maybe slightly less. But if you want to come and teach English, you are going to work really hard for not a lot of money. So that's why I think a lot of people choose to come to Mexico and work virtually or if they have their own online business where they're money, earning money outside of Mexico, you can be very comfortable. Yeah, I was going to say, unless you're retiring or you have another source of income, it sounds like working in Mexico, com you know, coming from the U.S. or even Canada or the U.K., it might it might be a little bit of a stretch for <laughs> for someone to, to kind of make that shift. But I but I do think like, you know, retirement or like you mentioned, just having an online business or I know there's a lot of freelancers who, you know, if you're working online, you're doing web development or something like that, you get paid in dollars, then the, the dollar goes a lot further when you're abroad most of the time so definitely so that is that is a great perspective to get sort of about how much it might actually cost to live there now I do have a question for you because you mentioned earlier that you know your Spanish isn't great and I wanted to ask is there anything that is there has ever been a time where something got lost in translation where you were uh, trying to say something and it didn't come out right or there was a misunderstanding over you uh, sort of moving there as you were working on your Spanish? Oh, how many times? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it hasn't been in any situation where it was like dire consequences, but there have been times when, you know, I will ask a question and I kind of get this blank look back because they don't have any clue as to what it is I'm trying to say. Unlike when I lived in China, here... At least if they can kind of get a gist of what you're saying or they they, they might be like, oh, you mean this word uh, in China? They just dead stared at you and were like, I can't help you. 
People have been very accommodating when I need to pull out my Google Translate or, you know, I, I learned very quickly to start with, I'm sorry, my Spanish is not very good. And then ask the question or whatever it is I'm going to ask. But there have been instances, I guess I don't get too caught up in it because it's like, well, this is what I think I said. And this is what I think they said. So let me cross my fingers and hope this goes the way I want it to go. I've had a lot of misadventures on public transit pre-pandemic. Uh, and, you know, worst case scenario, I end up at the wrong stop and I call an Uber and I get back home, you know. <laughs> oh, good to know there's Uber there. <laughs> yeah, there's Uber there. There are multiple ride sharing apps in Mexico City. Now that will vary depending on the area and how strong their their taxi mafia is because like in some uh like uh what is it? Cabo. They don't want Uber there so they've like restricted they can't go to the airport that sort of thing. But in this city with this many people, it's kind of been like, hey, there's an there's enough to go around for everybody. So besides sort of getting lost a few times, um, have you been able to get by not being fluent in Spanish or do you think that, or do you regret maybe not spending more time learning Spanish before you got there? Well, the funny thing is I had lived in Honduras for a year, so I thought I was coming here with some Spanish. And then I was like, ooh, no, you really don't have any. <laughs> um, and I enrolled in a class as soon as I got here. And then I took a more intensive class at the university you know, I took French and Latin in high school and I took French in college. So, yeah, I wish I had taken Spanish because, I've, you know, I think I would have been a lot further. Living here in this city, you need some Spanish. Although if you live in the expat bubble, there are a couple of neighborhoods that there are lots and lots of foreigners in. You can get by without speaking. I don't live there and that's on purpose. So for the life I'm trying to leave, lead, I definitely need Spanish. And it's a struggle, but it's a struggle I want. So I, I can live my life with, with my current level of Spanish, although I am taking one-on-one uh, -on -one classes and I'm, you know, always looking for new things to help me improve it. I could, but I don't think it would be... I wouldn't get the full experience. I think if I if I did not speak any Spanish at all, my experience in this city would be very, very limited because I think I might not feel as comfortable going and exploring this festival over here or going to this event or that, you know, all pre-COVID, of course. But just in my neighborhood, there's a, a little donut shop that I apparently frequent too much because they know me by sight now. And <laughs> That's always a clue. You're yeah. a regular. <laughs> I walked in and the guy, when I, I'm trying to ask my questions about the types of donuts, and he goes, oh, you're the one that doesn't speak Spanish. And I took offense. <laughs> and, I, and in Spanish, I was like, no, I speak it. Not very well, but I do speak it. So, you know, it's it's also that thing of, well, some of them may want to practice their English with me, but, you know, I make it work. 
So Adelia, I want to thank you for taking your time to share with us about life in Mexico City. But before I let you go, because this is the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, I have to ask you if you have a favorite song. Uh, it could be uh, a song in Spanish. It could be a song that is from Mexico or from anywhere else. Uh, but do you have a, a song in Spanish that you really like that we can add to our playlist? Okay, lately, and this is not like a super new song, but Azul by J Balvin. I've been, like I said, I, maybe my my music taste is questionable, but <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with reggaeton. You don't have to feel ashamed. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe there's a Mexican bias against it. I don't know. But that, we can add that. All right. So Azul by J Balvin. Okay. Entonces, gracias. Thank you, Adelia, for being on the show today. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adelia and that you've been enjoying our Black Expat series. We will be continuing to bring you more conversations about moving and living abroad and also just traveling as well. Now, if you want to connect with Adelia, just follow her on Instagram at Picky Girl Travels, or you can find her on her website, PickyGirlTravelsTheWorld.com. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast and this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button and reach out to us on Instagram if there's something you want to hear about on the show. If there's a guest you want to hear from, a topic, you can message us directly at Learn Spanish Con Salsa. As always, I hope that something you heard in today's episode has taken you one step closer from Spanish beginner to bilingual. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast at LearnSpanishConSalsa.com.